How are we doing? It's good to see you. Hey, I, Heather and I were on vacation last week, and uh, so it was awesome. And uh, I'm back, and so I'm, I'm coming off a of vacation. I just don't know what I'm going to say, so just kind of bear with me, you know, because my mind is still on the beach, and uh, it was an awesome time. I highly recommend doing that as soon as possible. Uh, but I'm glad you're here. Uh, we do have that Connect card in the seat back. If, we, if this is your first time, we'd love to get to know you and just... Uh, we're not weird about anything. We're not going to show up at your house. We don't do visitation, um, and which because I hated that when I was visiting churches. You know, like Monday night, right when you're just into your show or something, they're into dinner. Like, hey, we're from the church you visited. It's like, I didn't visit your church. No, uh, you don't know who. I, no, no. I mean, that's that's my side of the conversation. So we don't do anything weird about that. We just want to get some information in your hands about that. We're in a series called Heart of the Matter that we're actually closing the series this weekend. And uh, this has been been a tough series because I feel like we've done some, had to deal with some heavy thoughts and kind of really dealing with ourselves in a lot of this. And uh, it really kind of works on some of the identity traps we get into um, that when we misunderstand God's character, we start to kind of close ourselves into these, these areas and we'll carry anger, uh, we'll carry different things. This, this week we're going to close it with trust issues and uh, trust is something that has to be earned and it has to be earned from someone trustworthy. So in order, we, always, we, love to, we love to talk about trust and like, you've got to earn my trust, right? And, and, but we have a responsibility in that. If we're going to tell somebody, you've got to earn my trust, we have to give them the opportunity to earn it, right? And, and so trust, trust has to be earned, and it's earned from trustworthiness. So you show yourself faithful is how that happens. And God is faithful, God is good, and God is trustworthy. And what I've learned and experienced in my own life is when I have trust issues with faith and trust issues with God, I'm misunderstanding God's goodness. And so when we look at kind of an identity issue we get into of, of distrust of people and distrust of God, uh, we, we start to lose sight of God's goodness, that God really does have a plan, that really does have something for us. And I want to I explore that a little bit. I want to look at Numbers chapter 13 in our Bible, and that's where we'll be this weekend. I'm going to set, set this up. I feel like every message we've done in this series, there's a lot of background that I have to give to help catch up what's going on as we get into it. But in Numbers 13, uh, this is the children of Israel. They've, they've left Egypt. So if you remember that God had brought his people out of Egypt, he had raised up Moses, and we talked about him a couple weeks ago, but he raised up Moses and he led his people out of Egypt and he said, I've got a promise for you. I've got this land that's flowing with milk and honey. That just means it's going to be a fertile land. It's a good land for you to go to. He said, I'm giving it to you as a promise, but you got to go. And so they start, they start following God. The presence of God goes before them. There's a fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. The very presence of God is leading the nation of Israel out of Egypt. He led them through the Red Sea, and, and he led them through this wilderness, and they've come to the edge of it, into the promised land, and God is just constantly showing this. As his presence is with them, God was providing water for them. God was providing food for them. He was giving them everything they need, constantly seeing the hand of God at work. Okay, that's what the nation of Israel is seeing. There's, I mean, they are actually seeing the tangible presence and the hand of God do everything for them. They get to the edge of this promised land, and in Numbers chapter 13, this is what happens. Um, the Lord spoke to Moses and said, Send men out to spy the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. 
from each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man from every, uh, every one, a chief among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all the men who were heads of the people of, his, of Israel. So God brings them there. And God knows, he says, even though you see God's goodness, God is still perceiving of the heart. So he tells Moses, send 12 guys. There's 12 tribes of Israel. If you, if you missed how that came about, early on in this series, we taught about how the 12 tribes of Israel came from the 12 sons of Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. And, and so God says to Moses, pick, pick somebody from each of the tribes and send them into the land, spy it out. So they take off. They send them in. They, they appoint the men, and they go out in the land, and they're gone for 40 days. And then uh, verse 17, Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said, go up into the Negev, that's the, the kind of the desert region, and go up in the hill country and see what the land is, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they're few or many, and whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad, and whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds. And, and whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are trees in it or not, be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now is the time of the seasons for the first grapes. So Moses gives them instructions. Go in. This is what you need to look for. Now, again, this is a land that God has already promised. He said, I've got a promise for you. I'm going to lead you to it. They get to it. And then he says, now I want you to send spies in there, and I want you to check it out. How are the cities? How are the towns? What are the, what's the vegetation like? What are the people like? Bring back some fruit. You're going, to ha- you're going to go on behalf of the entire nation, and you're going to come back and tell us what you see. I mean, here's the thing. You ever thought about that from a perspective of heaven? Like so many people are like, I don't know if heaven is real. Is it a real place? I mean, it's hard to imagine. I just don't know. I mean, could you imagine if somebody went to heaven and then came and said, hey, here's what it's like? I mean, a lot of us, I mean, we've, we've, I don't know if you have, I've read books of people who've died and said, I went to heaven and saw God and, and he said, I'm not done with you. And, and then they write a book, you know, they write a book about their experience. And, and so it, we think, man, if somebody could just come tell me what it's like. And even in, in Revelation, John writes the book of Revelation and he says, the things I saw in the vision of heaven are too great. They're so unimaginable. That's, God's given them this opportunity. I'm going to show you this land. This is going to be yours. So then they, they come back. I'm going to go down to verse 25. At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them, we came to the land which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. So they're saying, we, we saw it, man. It is a good land. This is awesome, and here's some fruit we brought back. This is good stuff. I mean, God was right. God set us up on this, man. And then the conversation changes. Verse 28 starts out with the word, however. However is a nice way of saying but. We went to the land, and we saw it was good. Here's some fruit. It's awesome. But the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and large. And besides that, we saw the descendants of Anak there. That means there's giants in the land. They said we even look like grasshoppers to them. So it's, it, that, there's a but that changes the whole game, right? 
But is a word that negates everything before it. You remember that? I remember growing up, you know, dating a girl in high school, and she starts out this conversation, I think you're a really great guy, but I think we should just be friends. So I walk away. She doesn't even want to be my friend because she doesn't even think I'm a great guy because she said the word but. But negates everything before it. I mean, and, and we do that with God. I mean, we walk around. As Christians, we got big butts. And I cannot lie. You're so welcome for that. God calls us to something. We get in an environment like this, and we'll, we'll be, in, we'll be in, in worship, and we sing, God, you're the God of miracles. You're, you're able to do anything. Everything is under your hand, and you, you see everything, and you are powerful. And we get in, we start to feel good, and then we get in the car, and we start thinking about what God has been calling us to do, and then we let our big butt get in the way. But I don't think I can do that. God, I know that you've called me to do this, but I'm not, I'm not it. I mean, even Moses, who had led him to this point when God said, I'm going to use you to lead the nation out. Moses, that's great, but I'm not the guy to do it. I don't speak well. I'm not eloquent. Find somebody else. When, when I finally got to the point of acknowledging that God was calling Heather and I to plant the church, my big butt got in the way. Because I was like, but God, I'm, I'm not good enough to do that. I, don't, I can't do all that. I can't do that. And, and here's, what, here's what I really feel God impressed on me. He goes, no, you're not good enough to do it, but I am. That's exactly what Moses told, uh, God told Moses. Who do I tell them sent me? I am. So God says, I am. But they come to him and they say, we came to the land and it was awesome. However, but the people are strong and the cities are fortified and so then they, they, they really start letting the obstacles overwhelm them. And then verse 30, Caleb is one of the 12 that went um, as a spy. He quieted the people before Moses. He said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are able to overcome it. He's trying to inject faith in it. He's saying, listen, we can do this. God called us to this place. We've got to keep going. This isn't where he called us to stop. And so he's trying to say, look, you, you, can, you can look at the people and the problems, or you can look at the promise of God. And you got to decide how you're going to move forward with that. Then the men who had gone up with them said, we're not able to go against the people, for they're stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw Nephilim, that's giants, the son of Anak, who came from the Nephilim. And we seemed ourselves like grasshoppers. So they spread a bad report. So you got the spies coming back, and then they get overwhelmed. They lose trust in the promise of God. And they start spreading a report like, no, no. Instead of saying, it is a good land, there is milk and honey. Milk and honey just means fertile. It's a good land, and God in his promise has shown us a great place that he's going to lead us to. They instead start sending out a, a bad report to say it devours its inhabitants. There's no way we can do this. There's absolutely no way we can make this happen. And it's amazing how we start to justify that. When they say we, we can't do this. We will be devoured. We look like grasshoppers to them. They've completely pulled God out of the promise. 
They completely forgot that God had called them. They had walked all this way. They had seen God lead them. And then they let their fear get the best of them. Let's go on into chapter 14. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept at night. And all the people grumbled uh, against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would, we, or would that we have died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. We look at that and go, that's just, that's ridiculous. Why do you want to go back to that? But you know what's amazing about us? Why do we go back to the same bondages in our life? Why do we start get a glimpse of freedom from an addiction or freedom from, from the, the past that's haunted us and all the wounds and the stuff we carry and the unforgiveness and the bitterness and all these things and we start getting some, some traction and all of a sudden we start seeing the obstacles in front of us and how hard it's going to be and we thought, I'd rather be comfortable in my pain. That's exactly our human condition. Instead of pushing forward, we shrink back. Well, why do you want to go back at least I knew what was expected of me. It is amazing how much we can find comfort in our pain. That's the hardest part about helping people get out of their past. That's the hardest part about helping people get free. That's the hardest part about walking with people, trying to see them move into the life God's called them to move into. Because they realize this is not easy. God never calls us to easy. But he does call us to good. And what he has before us is good. And it, it breaks my heart when I'll walk with people and they get right to that point And they're like about just, and there's a breakthrough about to happen. And all of a sudden they see this is a big obstacle. This isn't as easy as I thought it was going to be. There's going to be battles I got to face. And then they start shrinking back. And they go, at least I was comfortable. There's a movie I love to watch on Sunday afternoon, and, and if you don't know me, on Sunday afternoons, I love to watch movies I've seen a thousand times, because when I fall asleep, I don't have to rewind it. I already know what I've missed, and on Sunday afternoons, I'm an emotional, uh, I'm empty, man. I got nothing in the tank on Sunday afternoons, so I don't want to watch a new movie because I don't want to have to process anything. So I like watching movies I've seen before. And one movie that Heather makes fun of me is Shawshank Redemption. And, that, and, and, and so when I watch it on like, I don't have like the movie of it. It's on like the cable TV. So you have commercials. So it's really like an eight-hour movie. So I get a long nap on Sunday afternoons if you're catching my drip. But there's a, there's a moment where one of the men, Brooks, gets released. And he gets to go into the halfway house. And Brooks ends up taking his own life. And one of the things that Red said about him to Andy was that Brooks was an institutionalized man. He couldn't live on the outside. It's strange to me how that describes so many Christ followers. We're institutionalized in our own bondage that we're unwilling to let the freedom that Christ paid for let us walk in it. And that's a choice. It's, your past doesn't keep bringing you back into it. The people around you don't keep pushing you into it. You have a choice to make in that. Am I going to find comfort in the freedom 
or find comfort in the bondage, or am I going to press forward in the freedom that God has for me? Oh, that we'd go back to Egypt. There was nothing but death in Egypt. Bondage. They were slaves. It's awful. And then verse 5, Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the assembly of the congregation, the people of Israel. When I read this, I started laughing a little bit. I mean, I know it's a heavy situation in Scripture, but Moses has had to deal with people doing this the whole trip. It's kind of like a road trip, right? You love the people when you get in the car, and then halfway through, you're ready to put them out somewhere. I feel like that's, that's what Moses is happening right now. He falls on his face. I, I thought, well, maybe he passed out. Like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? But then Joshua, Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of, of Jephunai, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, that's a sign of mourning, and said to the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we passed through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. They're speaking the truth into the lies that they were sharing into the nation of Israel. It's an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. That's the Braveheart speech, right? I see before me my countrymen. He's like, let's go. And here's the response. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of the meeting to all the people of Israel. They weren't having any of it. What is happening here? They begin to rebel. They're trying to bring them back to the promise of God. Listen, God gave a promise. He's provided everything that we've needed up to this point. Do you not think he's going to continue that? And then, and then, <laughs> and then he's going to take care of us. He's going to protect us. He called us to do this. And the people rebelled, and their disobedience, when you read through the rest of chapter 14, their disobedience meant they would never see the promised land. Matter of fact, this is what verse 33 says, um, and your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness 40 years and shall suffer for your faithlessness until the last of your dead bodies lies in the wilderness. He says, you will not see this. When I read the rest of this chapter, you know, in verse 30, it says, Not one of you shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell, except Caleb and Joshua. What, what really hits me in the face with this is you and I, this generation, we have a choice in front of us. Do we step into the promise of God or do we shrink back in fear and hope that our kids are going to pick it up? If we don't step forward in faith, then our generation misses a blessing. And I know when you got one generation always, always blaming the next generation coming along. But listen, it is time for us, no matter what generation you're part of, you're alive and you're breathing right now, and you are part of this faith movement, that you've got to step into the promises of God so you don't miss out on this. 
This way you have a story to tell your children. They just don't watch you die because you're afraid of the promise and then they finally step into it. All this happens because they didn't trust God. They lost the trust. They lost the trust that God is good. God said, I'm, I'm giving you a good land. I'm leading you out. I'm providing everything. But they couldn't see the goodness. They, couldn't, they weren't trusting God. They started looking at the obstacles. And they started looking at the challenges. And God is good and he can be trusted. Two of the spies, two of the men that went, believed that. And ten did not. An entire generation missed out on the promise. I said trust is earned, but also trust is learned. Because God is trustworthy. His very character, his nature is trust. He's good. And he doesn't have to do anything to earn my trust because he's proven himself over and over that he's faithful. What I have to do is I have to learn to trust him in every situation. And every time that lesson's a little bit different. I mean, whether it's God calling us out of the corporate world to go into ministry, I had to learn to trust God in that. Planting a church, I had to learn to trust God in that. Raising my kids, I had to learn to trust God in that. All the steps of faith that we do in our life, we have to learn trust in that moment because I've learned trust there, but that was for that situation. But God's always calling us up. He's always calling us to bigger challenges. He's saying, I want to grow your faith. I want to stretch you. I want to mold you into my image. And I've got this purpose and this plan for you. And you've got to learn to trust me in all situations. Everything I will trust God. And when I start looking at that, God calls us to remember, right? Because I can look back at the past and reflecting on God's faithfulness, that, that starts to build this foundation and build this trust for his goodness that's coming. Think about it. This entire We get the benefit of reading the story, right? It's hard when you're living the story. So I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to, I can't pick on them too much because I find myself in that same situation oftentimes in my life. But what we also have the benefit of reading in their story is the faithfulness of God over and 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 over. He calls them to remember. And he's got good plans. I mean, Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah says, this is what God says, for I know the plans I have for you. These are plans that give you hope in a future. I mean, we like to build our hope in our future ourselves with our imagination and our mind's eye. But listen, God has built a future and a hope for us that is good. And he calls us to walk in it, but he calls us to remember. When we come to that precipice, he says, you got to remember, you got to look back. Don't forget where you came from. I don't ever want to go back where I came from, but I don't want to forget it. There are things I ne never want to repeat in my life again, but I will not trade that experience for the lessons that I have now. And God calls us to remember. In Deuteronomy, the very next book in the Bible, 
after numbers. It, the whole premise about Deuteronomy is you need to remember this and remember what God's done. I'm giving you this in writing. But he would say, when you get to a point where you say these nations are great, they're bigger than I can, how can I dispose of them? Listen to what God says. You shall not be afraid of them, but you will remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and throughout Egypt with a mighty hand, an outstretched arm. Your eyes saw the signs, the wonders, the miracles. Remember what you experienced, the goodness of God. There are things in my life when I look back that are extremely difficult. <clears throat> but when I look back, I can see where God was stringing things along. For so long, I, I would pray and tell God I'm sorry for going into ministry later instead of earlier in life. And God would always just, he would, he would kind of rebuke me in that. He said, I didn't, I didn't call you earlier. But when I look back at my life and the experiences that he orchestrated in my life and created the moments for me to learn and have the experience that is invaluable today. Look at the life of David. A man after God's own heart was a shepherd. He fought, the, he fought Goliath. He fought the giant. Everything in David's life, God orchestrated for him to be the king that God called him to be. Maybe, maybe what you should do is ask God, <clears throat> God, would you help me look at my past through your lens of goodness? Because listen, we've all had hard things in our past. And we can come back and go, well, God must not be good because that really hurt. Well, just because it hurt didn't mean God's not good. Well, I didn't get what I wanted in that. Well, just because you didn't get what you want doesn't mean God's not good. Because God is good. That, that's his very nature. God is good. That's his character. And God's goodness creates that foundation for my faithfulness. So I got to look back and I got to remember and thank God you were faithful then, you'll be faithful now. And if you're faithful, then I can be faithful to what you're calling me to. I mean, they're standing there on the precipice of the promised land. I mean, how many of us stop short of the fulfillment of the promises of God in our life? It's like the miners who worked for years and years in the mine. And they just dug day in and day out, pulling out rocks, pulling out rocks, pulling out rocks. And they finally just said, there's nothing here. So they leave. They sell the mine. It's worthless. Another group comes in. They dig six more feet and strike gold. How many of us stop digging? Because God's called us to do it. And his, he's good. If he says it, he'll do it. He's a man of promise. He's a God of promise. He doesn't go back on his word. He is unchanging. He is faithful beyond generations. And this goodness of God and my faithfulness, it's a perspective change. Because I can trust God's goodness even in the face of overwhelming odds and obstacles. I mean, we love to sing a song, they say this mountain can't be moved. But how many of us really believe that God will move the mountain? I mean, where God does do the impossible. I mean, just over the last couple months, the stories 
of God doing the impossible just with people in our church family. I mean, the impossible of going stage four to stage nothing. The impossibility and the inevitability of going before the judge to divide your assets and figure out custody and God moves a mountain and brings reconciliation. Don't tell me he can't do it. There is no obstacle that God cannot overcome. And that gives me faith. That faith starts building in me and then I can begin to walk in that faithfulness. And listen, I lose trust sometimes in God. And when I lose trust in God, I question God's goodness, but it's because I'm coming at my lens, not his. I'm looking at my broken character, not his perfect character. I'm looking at the things in, the, in, the, in my past where I didn't get what I wanted, that I've been disappointed, and that still doesn't change God's character. He's good, his plans are good, and he calls us to be obedient. He didn't say to Moses to tell the people of Israel, I'm going to get you out of slavery in Egypt, and I'm going to do some amazing things, and, and you're going to see them, and then I'm going to get you right to the edge of the land, and I'm going to kill you all. Now, after this little scene... God was ready to wipe them out. And that's where I'm like, yeah, that's, that's, where, that's where we go, God. But Moses intercedes for them. But God does not wipe them out because he's good. And he calls us to be obedient. But the little asterisk in this, this is the key, is that if I'm going to trust in God's goodness, listen, it's going to lead me to make difficult decisions. God's plan is good, but it's not easy. God never called us to take the easy road. Following Christ, Jesus didn't say, hey, follow me and I'll make your life comfortable. Follow me and you're going to be happy every day. Follow me and life's going to go all the time the way you want it to go. No, when Jesus said we're going to, he said, follow me, here's what you got to do. Deny yourself. All the things that you want, all the things that you think help sustain you, satisfy you, make you complete, deny yourself of those. Take up your cross, which means lay down your life. Jesus laid down his life and he calls us to lay down ours too, that I am no longer Myself, but I have been crucified with Christ, is what Paul said. I've denied myself. I've taken up my cross. And he said, in, do this daily. Why? Because every day, that little desire, that selfishness, all the stuff comes up. It says, I just want an easy life. There is no easy life. We look at other people's lives and determine that's an easy life. There's no easy life. I mean, I got to spend a week laying on the beach. My decisions were, where do I lay, what do I read, and what do I eat? That's it. Easy life. It's not that easy, y'all. After a couple days, you're like, I need some interaction. This food is good, but it's not home cooking. This pillow, you know what I'm saying? This mattress, the older I get, something about mattresses and pillows, man, I'm telling you. You know, in the proximity of the bathroom, <laughs> I have to practice. Go into a hotel room with the lights on. I practice. One, two, three, one, two. 
One, two, one, two. Okay. All right. Practice it again. I mean, I'm just rehearsing it because I know in the middle of the night. And I don't want to wake Heather up with a bam, you know. What's that? I hit the wall. There is no, what was I talking about? I was on vacation again. Uh, easy life. There is no easy life. God calls us to, eat, to good, not easy. But he brought them. And the problem was big. Listen, the problems in our life, you've got big problems. i got big problems. we all got big problems. But here's what we got to reframe the perspective with. My God is bigger. I mean, I see these bracelets that people wear. My God is bigger. Or my God is big enough. Do we really believe that? I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not your motivational speaker. I'm not the guy that gets you amped up to say, you can do it, you can do it. This will be your best week ever. No, no. I'm here to teach you the word of God. And the word of God shows us the faithfulness of God bringing his people and his promise to the edge of a precipice saying, are you going to trust me or not? If you trust me, you're going to go in the land. They didn't trust them. They missed it. Their kids went in and took it, but you know what? Their kids had to fight. And those are the difficult decisions because God calls us, and there's fights coming. They had to overcome cities. They had to go through. But God was moving before them, preparing the way for them. The decision when Heather and I plant, decided to plant the church, it didn't mean everything went easy. It has been a fight, and there are still fights that I have to fight every week of my life. But they're worth it because I know I'm following God's promise and he's gone before me and he's prepared the way in those fights that I have to endure. So I'm all right with fighting knowing that he's gone ahead. I'm all right with fighting knowing that the ground I'm taking is a ground that has been given by his promise. And I have to trust him in that. I have to, I have to choose that because trust is a choice. You will choose to trust or you will choose not to trust. God always does his part and he calls us to do ours. I remember, you know, uh, when our kids were teenagers, our, uh, our daughter was, 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 you know, every teenager makes, you know, they make stupid choices sometimes. And I remember grounding her. You know, and you feel like you got so much power and authority, like you're grounded. How long till I say, you know? But there was this time that, that, you know, we were just dealing with all the hormones and all that stuff. And she's like, well, can I go out with my friends? No. Why not? Because you're grounded. Well, I've been grounded forever. I, I mean, when am I going to go out with my friends? No. And I remember thinking, you know, this is, this is much easier because I've got her controlled. I've got her corralled. And then what I would say is, you broke your mother and I's trust, and you've got to earn that trust back. And that became my cop-out line. Until one evening, she straight up smacked me in the face with the words that she came back with. She said, Dad, you keep telling me that I have to earn your trust back, but you never give me an opportunity to. So often, we will say, you have to earn my trust. And we never give an opportunity for trust to be earned. So often we look at what God's calling us to do, and it's difficult. There are difficult steps that God calls us to. And we're like, you just have to earn my trust, God. And God's asking us, what else do I have to do to show you that I'm trustworthy? 
because he's the very mark of it. By very nature, he is trustworthy. Stop hiding in the excuses and start walking in the promises. When we love the coffee cup verse, Romans 8, 28, right? For we know, right? We know that for those who love God and all things work together for good, and we like to put a period there and just claim the good. It's a comma. But he says, for those who are called according to his purpose. So I, I just want to challenge you a little bit with that verse. For those who love God, do you really love God? Do you really love God or do you, do you love what he, you want him to give you? Does the idea of what he can provide for you, is that more alluring than him? Because I would much rather have him. Because without him, all the other things are meaningless. But do you really love God? And if you really love God, listen, you're willing to see good through his eyes and his purpose. It's his purpose, not yours. I mean, just look at Jesus. The promise through Jesus is salvation. The plan was the cross. And the proof was resurrection. And Jesus is fully God and he's fully man. And we see, his, we see the weight of the emotion the night that he was arrested as he's crying and praying and sweating profusely. And he's saying, Father, if there's a way for this cup to pass from me. But then he submits. He says, nevertheless, your will be done, not mine. Do you know why he said that? See, the promise of salvation is great. But the pain of the cross seemed insurmountable but here's what he knew that God is good and God can be trusted and if the promise is on the other side of the pain that I have to walk through I will be faithful obedient and I will trust him in every step of that pain for the joy set before Jesus he endured the cross There are difficult steps ahead of each of us. But if I could just say this, just trust God because he is good. Let me pray for us. God, you have shown yourself faithful over and over. We see it in your word. We can see it in our life. That your faithfulness is always about us. You've shown yourself trustworthy, God. And you are calling us into a promise and a plan that you have for each and every one of us. And that is a good plan. That is a good promise. You never promised easy. But God, I ask you to help us remember your faithfulness and help us make the difficult choices to continue moving forward in your purpose. God, when it gets tough, let us focus on you. God, you've brought us into the spiritual family together and connected us so that we can encourage one another and spur one another on. God, I pray that you bring the support around us and the encouragement so that we don't hear the lies of the enemy that will never make it through that. But your goodness is with us now. Your goodness leads us through and your goodness is on the other side too. May we be a people who remember that and walk in a way that honors you 
We love you, and we pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I love you guys. God bless.